It's the Climate Cause. Hello and welcome to the Climate Cause. I'm Maddie Rez and I'm interviewing people to explore how they relate to climate change and what they're doing about it. It's going to be another great episode. Thanks for listening. And as always, this episode is made in partnership with Ecological Design Network. Visit their website, ecologicaldesignnetwork.com, to find out how they can help you. So, um, I'm very excited to have Catherine Rowan here. She um, is a transportation planner in Oregon. Um, she and I go back a couple years. We went to the University of Oregon together. Um, and we met in a group called Live Move, which is a transportation advocacy group that hosts events, um, does some planning work, and is just involved in the community of sustainable, equitable, and livable transportation and communities. So welcome, Catherine. Um, say hello and introduce yourself. <laughs> Hi, Maddie. Thanks so much. Yeah. We, we do go back a couple of years. It feels like forever now with the pandemic. Um, but as you said, I'm a transportation planner for the Albany Area Metropolitan Planning Organization out of Albany, Oregon, not Albany, New York. I've had people get confused, very different places. Um, but yeah, I, um, I'm from Texas originally. I was born and raised in Houston. Um, I also have a background in environmental science from the University of Texas, which I uh, never used, but really enjoyed. Um, and I think what, what led me to transportation um, was really some experiences I had after my undergraduate degree. I got to travel a lot, um, which was amazing. And I got to see these, these great cities around the world, like, you know, Rome and Paris and, and Barcelona and kind of compare, you know, these, these cities that are, you know, very active, transportation-focused, a lot of rail, um, to, you know, the, the Houston suburbia, the sprawling suburbia I grew up in, and just realizing that, you know, we can do things differently that, you know, improve the environment, improve our social, you know, and mental health, and yeah, just wanting to understand that link is really what drew me to planning um, at the University of Oregon where where we met um, so that's that's kind of the long the long and short of it absolutely and thank you for sharing a little bit about your background and the experience that led you to where you are today um, and so you you're a transportation planner um, now um, in the state of Oregon and this, this work is these realizations and this work has brought you to this point. And so uh, I want to ask a first question and it's, it's a relatively big question, but I'm really interested to see, um, to hear your thoughts. How do you connect the dots between climate action, adaptation, resilience as an opportunity for improving society as a better? Hmm, that is a good question, which I'm also glad you sent me ahead of time because I had a chance to write down a few bullets that I'll, I'll try to expand on here. But, you know, I think one of, I'm, I'm a huge proponent for bicycles, um, which, you know, I just developed in, in the past couple of years, really. Um, and I see bicycles, you know, as, as being great for 
um, climate action, just because so much of our greenhouse gas emissions, right, come from the single occupancy vehicles that, you know, we take everywhere every day, especially in the suburbs. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, kind of getting to the, the second part of your question, where is, how is that an opportunity for improving society for the better? I think what really drew me to bicycles are not, you know, the, the benefits really related to climate change or, you know, physical health, um, but really when you're riding a bike, I think you're, you're more in tune with your surroundings. So that's, you know, the natural and the built environment as well as the people around you. Um, and I think, you know, seeing things at that level, at that pace can really generate a lot of curiosity and empathy. Um, and I think both of those are really key components of creating a society, you know, that's more environmentally conscious and also more equitable and more accepting of, of differences. Um, so that's, yeah, that's my plug there for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I mentioned there's just so many benefits that come along with encouraging and engendering more bicycling. So your mental and physical health benefits, you know, I think especially for, for young children, having some kind of autonomy at a younger age, um, learning how to navigate the world can be great. I just think of all of the time I spent in the back of my mom's suburban, you know, doing, doing nothing, right? Like watching TV almost, kids do that on iPads now all the time in cars. Maybe not the best way for them to spend their time. I, I definitely see and appreciate this perspective that you're providing that not only is, you know, mixing up our transportation specifically through using bicycle travel, um, you know, it, it checks the boxes for um, being more environmentally friendly for um, the way the direct impacts on our health and our mood, but also what you were talking about on the way that it connects us to our community and what's surrounding us. Um, and with it, I know on my bike rides, like I, I just have this glowing or beaming feeling of just gratitude um mm. mostly probably because I live in Oregon and it's beautiful <laughs> and not to not to look down on any other place I just have this unique uh, or not this profound um love for just being outside specifically on a bicycle that I hadn't really experienced before um and to the point you were saying of if we can get if we can encourage children or people um, who are younger to be uh, clicked in or cued into this way um, of life. It's, it's starting them off in a complete different way than we were able to grow up. Um, yeah, I think of, you know, like citizen involvement and it's just, you know, I feel like it's really lagging in some areas and just, yeah, tuning into your environment, the people around you, that, that curiosity, I think is, is hard to replace. Absolutely. Um, and so you mentioned how these um, things motivate you and how you're able to connect the dots on um, the ways that bicycles and transportation are influential in our relationship to our community and um, our effects on the, the environment abroad. Um, so in your role, in your life, how do you, like, what is a tool that you use um, that you know to be true um, in your um work, your climate work and why? Yeah, so, you know, 
I think a, a lot of people, they see the bicycle kind of just as something you do for recreation, you know, either that or it's something that only old white men in Lycra do on the weekends. Um, and that's definitely like how I viewed it growing up. You know, we would put the bikes in the back of my dad's truck and drive them somewhere to ride them, um, which, you know, it's like, what, what are we doing? Um, but that's, you know, that's a separate story because there weren't any safe places to ride, which we also need more of. Um, but I just want to, you know, make the point that, you know, anyone really can ride a bike. You don't need special clothes or anything like that. You know, there's even adaptive bicycles now, if you don't, if a traditional bicycle doesn't work for you. Um, and I would just, you know, encourage everyone, you know, kind of like you said, Maddie, to, to get on a bike, um, and, you know, you'll experience kind of that glow, that glow that you mentioned, um, because it's it's really fun to arrive at a destination kind of under your own power. And it sounds a little goofy to say, um, but it's, it's kind of just like a yes, I did it. So, you know, whether that's, you know, a trip to the library where you take a backpack so you can put your books in it um, or a trip to your friend's house or a local coffee shop. Um, yeah, any anyone can do it. You don't have to be an old man in Lycra going 50 miles down the road for some race, like not at all. Um, and really, you know, most of our, our trips are between, you know, three and five miles, um, you know, outside of the commute trip, which I feel like we were too focused on. Um, but that three to five mile range, that's perfect for a bike. You know, you don't necessarily want to walk. Sometimes it feels silly to, to get in the car and crank it up to go that short distance. Um, but a, a bike is great. And I don't know, Maddie, I know when I started riding a bike to like actually get places, it was really scary for me. Was it scary for you? Was that a barrier you faced? It was definitely scary. And I think there were a lot of considerations I had to make and alterations to my normal travel, mm -hmm. but emphasizing and, like it was scary. To yeah, me. yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't used to riding like next to cars, even when there was a bike lane, like that was super scary for me. And I think if, you know, things that I did that helped um, me overcome that barrier was, you know, I found a friend who biked a little bit more and I would bike with that person because, you know, there's a lot of us have gone through driver's ed, but there's not really a, a biker's ed, you know, that, right. that's not out there. So finding a friend I thought was really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I also started riding on these huge, clunky uh, city bikes. They're blue. If you've ever seen the Peace Health bikes in Eugene, they're blue and you can't miss them. They um, own my heart. <laughs> they own your heart. Uh, well, they um, are great because if you're driving, you know, it's almost like you have a student biker sticker on your back when you're on one of those big city bikes which, you know, made me less conscientious of, you know, am I doing the right thing? I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, now these people know I don't know what I'm doing either. So it felt less stressful um, being on those bikes. So if you have city bikes in your area, I would suggest getting on one of those too. Yeah, that's such a valuable point that you just raised, that these, these bikes are really an elementary introduction for a lot of people to biking. Um, I, I say that the Peace Health bikes own my heart because they do in a sense. It was the first, I, the bikes were um, installed. The system was installed right around the same time that I entered the School of Planning, Public Policy and Management and was starting to connect the dots on how transportation is 
so important um, to our local community. And I was able to actually see the community for the first time that I was in a, I was a college student who had no access to a car and was in a place that I had very limited experience with. And so these bikes were such, I really love the way that you raised that, that for so many people like myself as well, it's, it's like a first free pass to, you know, low stakes, the bikes exactly. are wide. They're, they're, they're a little heavy. I've definitely like had some scraped knees <laughs> trying to like get myself acclimated, but I think that, um, interventions like the peace health bikes that are these like very, um, user-friendly modes is, would you agree? Or do you feel similar that it's like an opportunity to plant those seeds for those I who- yeah, I think it's a great, it like lowers that barrier because, you know, they're, they're right there. It's like a quick app download. You don't have to buy a bike. You don't have to buy bike lights. You know, they have a nice basket up front, which is really handy. You put your backpack in there or something. Right. Um, and, you know, what, what else I think is great is a lot of these city bikes on their apps, you have maps that, you know, kind of tell you where the other stations are if you have to dock your bike in a station. Um, but something else I'm a huge proponent of if you're first gonna start biking is knowing your route, having a route. Just like if you're gonna drive somewhere, you're gonna know your route. Well, if you bike, you wanna know that too. And Google Maps has you know biking directions now, um, which make it so much easier. Um, I know I feel a lot more comfortable if I know where I'm going. And you can even look in Google Street View, you know, make sure that the street, it looks comfortable for you. You know, are you someone who definitely wants bike lanes? Well, you can check that out. Um, another pro tip I bought, one of the best things I've ever bought is this, like little black stretchy um, phone holder that goes on my handlebars and I just stick my phone in there and I pull up maps. And it tells me exactly where I need to go. And that definitely lowers the stress and makes it a lot easier for me. You know, like fumbling around trying to bike with one hand. That's yeah, big no right. Google Maps has biking directions, which okay. tend to be the more friendly um, streets that, yeah, often have bike lanes. Sometimes they don't if it's like a neighborhood street with slow traffic. Okay. Usually they'll also have, you know, any off street paths that you have in your area will show up there as well. Also, super fun because you can compare how long it will take you to get to your destination driving also biking and you're like oh it's you know two extra minutes and sometimes it's even faster um so that's a fun comparison to be able to make fun little game right and we think that a car is supposed to be this super instantaneous thing and so we just automatically think that it's um, that biking is the secondary option when in reality it, it could be those extra five minutes could be you know, check off the box for my outside time, my sun time, my ex, like my movement time, and just maybe yeah. even time for me to unplug and just focus on the literal road in front of me. Yes. Um, and if you're like me and it takes you five minutes to parallel park, then the times come out exactly equal. So <laughs> Ex that's yeah, something I, I think about so yeah living here in my community in Portland parking is so hard to find and mm. I think that that might be a push in the right direction to disincentivize driving when um I could walk or bike 
just as um, easily and and avoid a lot of the inconvenience of mm-hmm. car travel. Um, but I, I, it just is uh, a unique situation we're in that like car travel has just been so incentivized for so long that it's so ingrained too. I know we both talked about you know just growing up like in that culture. And it's, right. uh, yeah, it's not something you think about taking a bike to get somewhere to physically get somewhere was something I never thought about growing up. Right. No. And but now you think about it all the time, I imagine. I do. Yeah. I try to make it the first, like I try to make it the go to and the car, the secondary option. Like if it's three miles or under, I'm usually going to bike it. Right. Well, that's awesome. And I, are you able to help reduce some of the barriers to transportation or to, to biking in your, in your day job? You know, I try, I try. Um, so I'm actually working on a bicycle and pedestrian plan for the Albany area metropolitan planning organization Ooh. right now, um, which is awesome. It's kind of the first big planning project I've had on my plate. And I can say I've learned a whole lot you know, just from the process. And I think what, what I found really interesting is we had a couple community surveys we did and my favorite parts were the open-ended comments that people left kind of describing, you know, the barriers they really face when it comes to biking more. Cause you know, infrastructure, I think is a huge part of it because if you don't feel safe, you're not going to bike, you know, that's, that's a lot of what it comes down to. Um, but I think there's a lot of room to be creative with the education and the outreach and a lot of opportunities to get people excited about it. Um, and that's, that's really like what I love is sharing, sharing this with other people, because I mean, I just find it amazing. Um, and it's, it sounds silly, but yeah, I was in my late twenties and I was like, biking is the best thing ever. And I, you know, I felt like an 11 year old. And it's just like, it's so much joy when you, when you learn something that, you know, kind of that essential at that age. I don't think that happens a lot. Um, so sharing that is amazing. Totally. And I think too, that a new pathway that you've um, lit in my mind is it really connects us a lot back to like our own human power and things that are innately human, like human being, you know, having a a relationship with the world around you, having a say in your community, being able, having the capacity to be a part of what your community ends up looking like, being traveled like, and so on. Um, And I think that um, I wonder what your thoughts are. Um, So community engagement is, is obviously huge. Um, and it's, you know, something that's been on the books for a long time, but I think what's important is recognizing that, you know, different communities, um, you know, have more trouble being a part of those conversations than other communities. You know, if you're working really strange hours, if you have kids, you have to get home to, you know, if you don't have the luxury to be a retired person, you know, with a car that can go to an evening community meeting, um, and feel comfortable enough at that meeting to, you know, stand up and state your opinion, um, then, you know, traditionally, those are people we didn't hear from. Um, and I think we're, we're definitely trying to change that. And I think COVID actually has helped in that progression because we're having to find new ways to engage with people virtually, 
which has made us really rethink how we're engaging with everyone. Um, so if you're trying to find you know, communities of color or minority communities that traditionally have not been engaged, I think you know, one of the first things you can do is, is ask, you know, what, what do you need to be more engaged? And then you know, bring that to the table for people. So if that's meeting in, you know, community locations where people feel comfortable, you know, like a locally owned restaurant or um, a place of worship, I think a lot of it is also, you know, paying people for the time that we're asking them to commit to these projects. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I get paid to do this work. Shouldn't other people get paid to do, to, to give their input as well? Um, and that's just, yeah, a recognition that there's a lot of barriers that have systematically been put in place um, that we need to work through. Did that, was yeah. that the question you asked? Was that, that was the question. question. Okay. Yeah, thank you for answering that in the way that you did, because I think that you touched on a key point that there's so many, with just the natural fact that there's so many unique people in this world and everyone has their diverse needs and situations that it's more imperative than ever um, to factor that into our processes, specifically our public processes. And I think that historically, um, and you, you touch on this, historically, people who are involved in their community don't get compensation um, for that, uh, that work because I think maybe there, there's this belief that, oh, it's benefiting their community so they're getting a benefit when um in reality these um there's a level of capacity and engagement that um should be compensated because it, it's legitimate work and it takes um legitimate problem solving and input and time that um is important to recognize yeah, I think we, we ask a lot of our communities and especially, you know, communities of color, minority populations that, yeah, it's, it's harder. It's harder for some people and we just need to recognize that. Absolutely. And so um, as we wrap up, I kind of wanted to just ask you um, if there are any final thoughts that you wanted to share, um, maybe relating to where we are now and um, where we want to go. You know, I something I've been thinking about recently is is electric vehicles, mm -hmm. which I think they do hold a lot of promise. Um, you know, in some ways, but I I also worry that we're maybe, you know, holding them up as some some great thing, and that might not actually come to fruition. You know, right. thinking about connecting to your natural environment, connecting to the people around you. Um, I think, you know, you're still traveling in a metal box by yourself, which is just so, so isolating. Right. I don't, yeah. And so I have, I have some worries about that. And, you know, also kind of our land use patterns um, that enable that, you know, vehicle travel traditionally works best in these really sprawling, sprawling suburban places and, you know, that's not always great for a climate either, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really interested to see where we go in the Absolutely. next day. Really interested. Yeah, and I think you raise a key, key point that, you know, just today through our conversation, we've highlighted how 
in order to bring um, about these improvements for our communities, i.e. a better connection, easier travel, um, a relationship with those around us in the natural environment. You can't really just, it highlights that it's not just a swapping out of solutions. It's really reimagining the system that we have now. And so I appreciate you bringing up this argument with electric vehicles. Um, we've learned this historically, if you're only approaching one part of the issue, the rest of them still remain. And so um, I can really hear from the way that you've been articulating um, your perspective is just that we need to address these pieces as a whole, as a systems, um, and really see our, our role in it as opposed to just welcoming in a solution that solves one of the boxes, um, yeah. one of the short-term boxes, because you highlight that if we are still having to transport ourselves around in farther distances in electric vehicles, that has an impact. It directly connects to the energy that's needed. I appreciate that you brought in the piece of land use, um, because I think that if we had if we had hours and hours to talk, I think <laughs> that that is a a rabbit hole for sure on oh yeah how we've how we've gotten to where we have and specifically in our cases our own lived experiences how land use has created people like us who are like hey like I don't want to <laughs> live in a place that like it's 15 minutes to target and like I have to be in bumper to bumper traffic like I think those are legitimate circumstances that people deal with and they don't question because they don't have the, the capacity or the time right now or um, the resources to make those changes. So I thank you for, you know, doing this work um, in the transportation world. And um, I look forward to our coming conversations and whatever else you're up to. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to stay in touch. I look forward to, you know, hearing how, how this series continues to go and can't wait for some, some takeaways at the end too. Absolutely. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining today. Um, and we'll talk later. Thanks, Maddie. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to a lengthy but could be lengthier discussion on the climate cause. Check out the show notes and or visit our website, The Climate Cause, for more information. Follow us on your socials and check out the ecologicaldesignnetwork.com. Thanks.